0: Welcome to The Methods Café, a podcast series focused on social legal research, which is brought to you by colleagues at Swansea University plus guests. My name is Sarah Correa and I'm a lecturer in cyber threats at Swansea University's Hillary Rodham Clinton School of Law. And I'm Yvonne McDermott-Reese. I'm a professor, also at the Hillary Rodham Clinton School of Law at Swansea University. And this podcast is mainly for our master's students taking our module in research methods, but we welcome listeners from around the world. Welcome to episode three of the Methods Cafe. This time, we're joined by Dr. Joe Whitaker, who's a lecturer in cyber threats a member also of the Cyber Threats Research Center here at the Hillary Rodham Clinton School of Law. And his research interests include terrorism, social media, counter narratives, radicalization and all things uh, cyber terrorism related. And we're also joined by our second guest today, Dr. Kamil Yelmaz. Have I said your name correctly?
1: Yeah, Camille Yelmaz.
0: Camille Yilmaz, Apologies. Close, yeah. right. thank you. <laughs> and Camille and is a uh, postdoc also within the Cyber Threats Research Center. And his research interests, some of them overlap with Joe's, and uh, some some of them don't. So they include political violence, radicalization, de radicalization, counterterrorism, uh, CVE and methods such as discourse analysis. So welcome to the Methods Café. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for inviting. Thanks
2: for having us, yeah.
0: Brilliant. Uh, So we were going to talk about qualitative and quantitative methods and the distinction between the two and like our experiences and and thoughts on this distinction today. So first question for you is to start us off, what do you understand by Quantitative, qualitative research methods. What would you say about these so this kind of terminology that we use so much?
2: Yeah, I'm very happy to start. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I think it's a very interesting heuristic that seems like it makes this huge amount of sense when we start off talking about quantitative research. So typically when we think of quantitative, we think of numbers, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's it's much more about the kind of data that we're trying to access, and it's data that is typically structured uh, in, in a certain way. It's data that we're able to statistically measure, uh, to test hypotheses, uh, and to fundamentally make predictions which we try to verify, or actually more accurately we try to falsify. And really the purpose of that is to uh, try and make some kind of generalizations about the wider population that you're looking at. Camille, do you want to talk about qualitative methods? Uh, Actually, I
1: don't believe in the distinction. First of all, in my research, I (laughs) try to use both both of them. For me, uh, some of the points uh, you made are similar to mine. My understanding of what qualitative research is. So the first thing, the most important thing about qualitative research is we explore things as opposed to like test things. So we don't have a, a set of hypotheses beforehand we are trying to, with extra qualitative research, we are trying to get gain in depth insight. And it's about not empirical generalization, which can be applied to any population. And another like, important feature for me about uh, qualitative research is it's naturalistic. So it looks at the real world situations as they unfold naturally, and there's a lack of preset uh, limitations uh, on findings. And another aspect is that it's emergent. So the researcher is flexible for any change uh, during the course of the research. So you don't have certain hypotheses in your mind. You go to the field, you start your research, and things change, and you can adapt. But in quantitative, you have less room for this.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because when listening to both of you, it it becomes very clear to me the value of both of those approaches to collecting and and analysing data, because on one hand, there are some circumstances where we do want to generalise, where we do want to make predictions, we do want to test things. But at the same time, if things cannot readily be measured, you know, if we only had quantitative methods, it would mean that we wouldn't be able to study them and we wouldn't be able to make informed decisions on, on those issues. Right. So, yeah, really good. Really good way to start us off, I think. So in your previous work, perhaps I'll, I'll start with, uh, with Camille this time. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what, what sort of qualitative or quantitative methods have you, have you used in the past?
1: In the past, most of my research, I should admit that, was more qualitative than quantitative. When I used quantitative, it was mostly descriptive statistics, and there's a reason for that. I have a background in international politics and anthropology. So, of course, there are people who use quantitative research in those fields, but uh, the way I was trained was the focus was more on the qualitative research and I was involved in many field work research. I did I conducted ethnography in different places around the world. So I was again mostly using qualitative. And to be honest, I was valuing qualitative research more to the quantitative because I was after the meanings, not the numbers. And when I was talking to my friends who were mostly pro-quant, quantitative trends, I was kind of downplaying what they were saying about research because they were, they were only talking about numbers and they were like conducting research and doing some test analysis and they were not after the meanings of the research or the people. So I was more interested in what people say, what people do. and. To make a comparison, for example, between to understand the difference between quant and qualitative from a terrorism uh, studies discipline, imagine like Anders Breivik, right? He killed a lot of people. He's one person. How many attacks can you recall in the last ten or fifteen years from Norway? So, if you are interested only in the numbers, then there was only one terrorist incident, right, in Norway, but. It was very. It had a great impact. So I would be more interested in understanding how he became radicalized, how he perpetrated this attack, rather than you know then you know, focusing on the numbers about why people radicalize or what they why they perpetrate terrorist acts. So that's the way I I approach. Uh, but uh, lately I start to be more of the idea that we should use both methods or both techniques in our research which is a better way and for that I start to focus on more computational social science rather than classical quantitative techniques like SPSS, data or SAS and there's a reason for that because the data that I'm dealing with nowadays is more the social media data like Twitter, Facebook. so it's not easy to uh, use classical quantitative methods to analyze them. So if computational social science or data science, like programs like Python or R or others are more useful to like analyze those. Yeah,
0: yeah, brilliant. So maybe I'll come to you, Joe, next, because I know that Some of the work you you previously done has included elements of quant and elements of qual. And I wonder how you feel about that distinction between the two.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, I very much agree with Carmel that um, it is is not necessarily a useful distinction uh, when we are actually thinking about the nuts and bolts of what goes into uh, into research like this. So, for example, let I'll talk for a second about my PhD research, which was a mixed methods approach. So what I did was I built a big database of terrorists to try and work out how they'd use the internet, uh, whether the internet had become more important uh, uh, than the offline domain. So to do the quantitative statistical side, this took uh, a, a, an approach where I needed to code a lot of the data. So I had 200 or so terrorist case studies and I needed to Somehow create a, a, a codebook that devolved all these incredibly, incredibly complex, incredibly rich data life stories into ones and zeros, so I could apply some kind of a, a, a quantitative methods approach to it. So clearly, what needed to happen for that for that to happen was for me to um, conduct a qualitative analysis to, to categorise things into yes/no's or, or different different types of categories. So then it could be. Subject to, uh, to to kind of data processing, so in that sense, I think it really questions the dichotomy of quantitative versus qualitative research, uh, because um, me, me being able to conduct this kind of coding system relied completely on a qualitative judgment. And then in recent years, where I've gone to um, gone to publish this and I've had to deal with intercoder reliability issues and things like that, we're having to use traditions that are very much out of the qualitative. Uh, uh, tradition to, to even conduct the quantitative methods, so it really doesn't seem like there's a very clear distinction all of the time. But it's also worth noting. So that was just the quantitative side, and then the qualitative side, exactly as Carmel said, was was perhaps starting to explore the whys of the question. So perhaps one good example is that um, one of my quantitative findings was that terrorists that use the internet were less likely to be successful in their plots. So then I needed to try and ask questions like, why was that the case? And a lot of individuals were being very silly online in terms of their operational security. They were telegraphing their actions recklessly. And then I tried to develop kind of a more theoretical, interpretive approach as to how these specific behaviours could be interpreted, which might explain why they were being so foolish or reckless operationally. So again, you can see two very different approaches to attacking the same kind of data sets.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think what I'm getting from both of of your contributions here is that really you both see the value in in using font or qual methods, and there's a very strong connection between the methods you choose and the questions you're trying to answer and the sort of data you're trying to Essentially, extract some meaning from, and uh, yeah, which is which is fantastic. And I think one of the things we will be doing in a few weeks' time is talking about thematic analysis and talking about how there are actually a very distinctive approaches to thematic analysis, which is is a qualitative uh, method, but you can do it in such a way where even though it's qualitative, you are really valuing these ideas of reliability, like you said, Joe, and some some approaches to thematic analysis really focus on these notions of reliability. And, and in a way, that's almost closer to the kind of positivist side of the of the of the scale, whereas some other approaches to thematic analysis are very much, you know, not interested in reliability at all, it is about the interpretation of that particular researcher and so long as that is coherent that's all the approach is trying to achieve so yeah it's really really fascinating how you know we use qual and quant and we tend to associate qual with uh i guess constructivism <laughs> that kind of that side of the scale and and quant with like measurement and and, and precision and the more positivist side but but in reality sometimes uh, the methods and the methodology uh you know there there is a lot more leeway really we 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 think of okay these methods are associated with this kind of methodology but it's it's not always the case is it okay so our final question for you is about whether you have any top tips for our students or you know other researchers who may be listening and who may be just starting out on their journey into social or social legal studies do you have any any top tips you'd like to pass on so i'm going to give
2: two conflicting pieces of advice so the first is do learn whatever methodology that you're trying to apply Learn it as fully as you can before you, before you actually get going. Having supervised these MA dissertations for four years now, it's frustrating sometimes when students read a little bit about the methodology and then try and get going and then realise that they've actually misunderstood it and they've ended up wasting a lot of time coding something incorrectly or something that can't be used. And then you, know, you get a crisis call in late August saying, oh no, I've completely misunderstood this. So do understand, try and understand what it is you're trying to do before you start. But and the big but is don't be afraid to have a play around as well. Uh, don't be afraid to before you've actually decided what you want to do, maybe you've got a nice access to some kind of data set. Just throw it in SPSS, have a little have a little look around with some of the functionality of it. And again, this is something that there's 101 books in the library on SPSS, there's YouTube videos and things like that. So have a feel around and the same with the qual- a qualitative methodology as well. Do do feel free just to find out what works for you, what works for the data you've got. So yeah, conflicting advice in, in one sense, but A, if you're going to do it, learn it before you start. And that's a, learn, that, that's a do as I say, not as I do, because I wish I understood much more about statistics before I tried to do statistics as part of my PhD. But then the flip side is have a play around.
0: That's a really great tip. And I think... If, um, if people want to play around with data particularly on the quantitative side but on the qualitative side as well what, what they can do is um, you know have a look at some of the textbooks because a lot of these textbooks they actually come with online additional resources and quite often that includes data sets that you can play with so of course you know if you were going to collect data you definitely have to have um, ethical approval before you do that but if you're just working with some synthetic data that is provided with a textbook that's absolutely fine and you can you can try out different things then and um, so long as the the data is structured more or less in the same way that the data you're intending to use is you can you can check things without kind of having to collect data yourself so yeah brilliant tip Camille yeah
1: yeah great tips from joe and my like advice uh, humble advice maybe would be along the same lines being flexible in terms of qualitative or quantitative don't be like me you know i was more you know inclined to use qualitative in the past so be open as joe said to every kind of methodology which also which uh, naturally requires to get knowledge about those different approaches. So try to learn as much as possible, which is um, not a surprise. Uh, but the other thing is, do not take anything for granted in terms of the definitions. For example, people uh, conflate the meaning of methodology and methods, whereas like methodology is the rationale behind the research, uh, while the methods is the tools that you use. So those are like simple distinctions. They look simple, but it makes a lot of difference in terms of how you approach to a sociopolitical phenomena that you are researching. Maybe one last thing would be the focus on the theory. You know, we are talking about methods, but I think the theory is very important. In my research, I try to use theory a lot in designing the research what's called theoretically informed methodology. Some people use an acronym for it, T-I-M. So I would recommend um, students to search for it. So why the theory is important uh, has to do with the fact that, you know, it helps you uh, in the designing of your questions, in the conducting the research and doing the analysis and during the write-up. So if you have a, like, Clear theoretical approach; it helps you in all these fields. Just to give a like short example, John mentioned about his PhD dissertation, so I should <laughs> mention as well. So my PhD dissertation was on the radicalization of individuals from terrorist groups. So I used uh, a theory-based method, what's called rite of passage, and I called my model a rite of passage model for political violence. So when I read the uh, texts about rite of passage i read most of them from classical anthropological texts about people who are living in distant places and not many people or nobody used it in the terrorism research but i used it as a like simple tripartite approach to uh, rite of passage which i adapted to terrorism so in every everybody has is going through these three passages, separation, transition, and reincorporation. So the way I approached the, the radicalization issue, I used this approach, which helped me to conduct interviews in that tripartite model, analyze them in that tripartite model, and write it up in the same fashion. So just to like summarize, I think um, having a good, solid theoretical background helps not only in terms of how to approach things but how to actually conduct the research and select the most important and the best questions and best tools to to finalize your research
0: great and i think it speaks to some of what we've been talking about in the lectures which is essentially what you want to end up with is with with a a project that's internally coherent and that means that you know your theoretical assumptions and uh, your uh, methodological design and the specific methods and your research questions they all make sense together as a whole and and in many ways that's the key point that I get from from what you were saying there and I think Sometimes, you know, students when, when and researchers, any, any of us really, when we're starting out researching a new topic, we may not be entirely sure on, you know, exactly what our theoretical assumptions are, you know, when we're just starting out. And that is something that you can discover. And then you can go back and forth between the theory and your questions and your methods. And you, you keep going back and forth until you're confident that it's all aligned and it all it, it's all coherent so yeah nice to put <laughs> grand well i think we've come to the end of this episode it's uh, the only thing left is to thank you very much for joining us it's been a pleasure
2: thank you for having us but,
0: uh, yeah i hope maybe you can join us again some other time to talk about one of your projects or a particular method um, anytime you're always welcome thanks sarah
1: anytime sarah thank you Like intro music.
0: <laughs> Thanks.
1: Uh, yeah. We need to cut this this part. <laughs> I, I, I have to find a way to say. It.